All right, everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Soccer Hour. So happy to be with you, and we're going to kick things off talking to the co-founder and editor of ProSoccerUSA.com, Alicia Delgayo. Alicia, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm doing very well. Just uh, looking forward to uh, another matchup this uh, this weekend between the uh, Quakes and Orlando. Any Anytime I get an excuse to get out to that area of the country, I'm always uh, I'm entirely for it. Um, but I wanted to start off with you because obviously it's been a busy time of your life as of late. What with the founding of Pro Soccer USA, um, I guess we'll just uh, the first question I'll ask you was uh, what was the how and the why for the timing of why, why this occurred now? So if you want to take us back to yeah. the, uh, the impetus, the inception, how did it come to be? Yes, yeah, so um, Orlando has really led uh, coverage nationally as far as beat writing and community covering the community and the MLS team in Orlando. Uh, I think we were one of the only outlets the Orlando Sentinel was to send the beat writers to every road match. So really day in, day out coverage. And we were really seeing the returns on that um, as far as eyeballs and views and um, support in the community of that Mm -hmm. coverage. So uh, last summer about uh, we had a innovation team we created an innovation team at the paper and I was part of that and one of the teams I was on was to come up with vertical ideas and so I pitched one on Major League Soccer a great young demographic mm-hmm. uh, growing league something that I thought most soccer sites focused on international soccer still or the national the U.S. Uh, national teams rather than league soccer yeah and um, pitched the idea my bosses loved it but you know we pitch ideas all the time that go nowhere <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really think much of it. And uh, a couple months later, they came back and said, you know, uh, corporate loved your idea. They gave us the green light to go ahead and launch it. So that was in November, end nice. of October, November. And I said, all right, cool. Like, what are the next steps? Um, they said, well, uh, they want it launched in time for next season. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had an anxiety attack? Or <laughs> yeah. And I said, um, all right, like, I don't even know if that's possible, um, but let's try it. And so the plan was to launch uh, fully for the first time right before the season opener. Mm-hmm. And then I left in December to get married. And nice, congrats. <laughs> I, thank you. I came back two weeks later, um, kind of the third week of December, and they said that things had changed and we were going to do a soft launch in time for the player combine, which was January. <laughs> 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 so, I'm laughing been, with you, I promise. <laughs> yeah, so it's been a little crazy, but um, we pulled that off. We had a great uh, development team to, to get the website, at least like a shell of it, up and running in time for that. And myself and some of the Sentinel reporters and mm-hmm. freelancers locally helped cover that and in uh, about a month and a half after that was over I, I went to work finding freelancers across the country I hired 22 freelancers one in every city the Sentinel hired an Orlando City beat writer to replace me mm-hmm. and uh, got them all on board and started to do this so we did our official launch I think uh, two days before the season opening weekend mm-hmm. and the past month we've just been seeing what works what doesn't building out coverage continually. We added NWSL coverage uh, about two weeks ago that were was not in the plan for year one at all. <laughs> um, so we've kind of, we like to bite off way more than uh, we can chew here. That's cool. <laughs> but 
<laughs> but it's working, and um, we're just going to continue making it better and better uh, throughout this first year. Just to ask you about the the clicks and the demographic you were referencing, um, I assume you're talking the the 18 to 34. That's the one that everybody's after right now. And um, if you could just kind of expound upon that, because I actually did an interview last week with a gentleman uh, from the UK who was writing about the popularity of Major League Soccer uh, across the pond, which was something <laughs> that I was kind of intrigued by. And they talked about just how entertaining it was. So. When you guys were seeing all those clicks happening and the coverage that was really selling, how, in terms of the, because we're looking at this from the the, the viewpoint of the Orlando Sentinel, who represents you know the the ink and paper as going forward in going after that young demographic, how hard is it these days to find something that you know that that demographic is going to go after? Yeah, it's not only that; it's um, finding that demographic uh, that's interested, but also. Um, in a topic that is going to continue to grow mm-hmm. and isn't bad or a trend that's going to fade. So, um, yeah, with newspapers, uh, you think of an older crowd, but it's very much digital um, at the Sentinel and most yeah. major across the country. So we were digital first and what I did in my coverage, um, you know, posting things online, shooting mobile video, um, getting things up uh, immediately, and then they would take whatever that was mm-hmm. whatever they needed for the paper and put it and put it in the paper awesome. so that that's what we were doing there um so i just think that the community in orlando was really diverse and in, in that demographic in general and they really latched on to orlando city and we felt that uh we helped cover that and it's continued to grow from there and we really wanted to show that in other markets um, if you have writers there who are with the team, who know the team, who see and feel and participate in the community, um, they can provide a coverage that not only a soccer audience but a general audience would, mm-hmm. would like to read about as well. And that's what we really want to do because we feel that a lot of coverage nationally um, lacks that intimacy mm-hmm. and that community feel. Um, sometimes game recaps are written by people who aren't there at the games, um, things like that. So that's yeah. what we're trying to do. Awesome. Right now, first year, uh, you know, it's a limited coverage. It's just we have freelancers mm-hmm. uh, in every market, but we're continuing to continue to evolve that and grow that as, as the years go on. Awesome. No, you guys are doing fantastic work. And again, we're talking to Alicia Delgado right now, again, the editor and co-founder of ProSoccerUSA.com. Um, Alicia, just give us a little bit of your background. Um, you uh, obviously decided to dive into the uh, the crazy world of uh, broadcast journalism and journalism and uh, covering sports. It's uh, it's obviously a, a different world, you well know. But what was the well, what made you decide to go after that this avenue? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I was an athlete growing up um, in general, not really a soccer player. Funny enough, like I did when I was a kid. Yeah, like <laughs> I did, um, but uh, played all through high school, multiple sports, um, went to school originally for science. I was kind of a math science nerd and, um, then went back for journalism nice. a couple years later. And, uh, during my time there, I took a sports reporting class because I love sports and through that got an internship as a sports reporter with the Sentinel. Um, they hired me. I covered high school sports and local sports for years, uh, which also included covering Orlando City when they were in USL. Mm-hmm. And so I covered the 2013 uh, USL Championship. I was there when Don Dwyer was loaned down and all of that. And um, then when our they moved to MLS, we had a writer at the paper at the time, Paul uh, Tenorio, mm-hmm. who, who was covering UCF. 
for us and was a huge soccer fan and really knowledgeable. And so he moved over. And when he left, uh, I kind of backed up for him. Um, maybe the second year mm-hmm. he was there. And then when he left, they offered it to me. Nice. So I dove Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's worked out very well, obviously, and things are uh, things are going fantastic for you. And obviously, with the Sentinel and the coverage you guys are providing, it, I just remember um, I first saw you talk about it coming, and uh, people talked about it on Twitter immediately. The social media explosion. Also, I remember it went yeah. uh, people on Reddit on the MLS page on Reddit went nuts over it. And that's I mean that just speaks to the growing popular popularity of Major League Soccer right now. I mean it's so fun because I've been this with this league since day one. I was 13 years old at the first ever game. I'll just give you a little background. My dad who is a sports broadcaster here in the Bay Area, and he was the first ever TV announcer for The Clash back in 1996. So I, I grew up around it. And, like, I remember, like, going to school and seeing people, like, there's, like, a couple other people who wore the shirt from, like, that they handed out at the first ever game. But, like, it was, like, few and far between. And now it's, like, I'm 35 years old, and I feel like finally the popularity, especially over the past two years, and I would say the last, just from 2017 into 2018 with Atlanta coming in and LAFC doing their thing. Now we're watching NYCFC. We've got more expansion going on. Orlando City is making great headway. Um, It's just, for me, it's so much fun, and I'm sure you have this perspective as well, just to see all these people really glom on to Major League Soccer. And specifically, the, the sport of soccer is, whole I mean the popularity just keeps on growing and growing yeah definitely and I think you feel I mean immediately I felt that uh my first day covering professional soccer was the first game of the 2016 season awesome and so I was just thrown right in I think I was still (laughs) like wrapping up basketball coverage and all this It it was insane but instantly felt this energy that's different Um, from other sports and I think that comes with the diversity in the sport as well and getting to know people from different countries Mm -hmm. and coming together Um, but also as when you're in it uh, it seems you know you feel that energy and vibrancy and and growth but there's still so much potential there's still so many people who don't know and don't follow it and people that we can reach and kind of get on board. Awesome. Again, we're talking to Alicia Delgado right now, the editor and co-founder of Pro Soccer USA. You're listening to the Soccer Hour on KMBR 1050. Uh, let's transition to Orlando City. This was a team that was widely regarded as kind of the, the off-season darlings by a lot of different pundits and a lot of different people in the soccer world. How was the uh, excitement level overall heading into this season? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> This was the first season, I think, the newness of the team wore off. Mm -hmm. Uh, The lack of getting to the playoffs was a little frustrating for people. So a lot of the um, really most ardent fans were excited about the offseason moves. But some of the other casual fans were kind of like, "Mm, you know, not too exciting. (laughs) Last year, they had the stadium opening, which was huge and big. This year you know not much and they brought in a lot of players where if you follow soccer you know these players and you know that they're great but there wasn't a caca yeah uh, there anymore there you know a lot of things changed so um i think then they opened the season not the greatest results um interest kind of waned a little bit but now on a, on a three-game winning streak so i think the excitement's picking up a little bit um in terms of now we've got Atlanta doing their thing and Miami's coming in and also Nashville. Does the ownership group, or maybe you've talked to people in the front office about this, do they feel a little bit more pressure now that they, I mean, they were kind of the only one in that geographic region for a couple of years and then now 
um, everybody saw what a, a success soccer in the South could be, even though I know that Floridians do not like to consider themselves the South per se. But, yeah. I mean, did, did they feel the pressure to, to be like, oh, okay, these other teams are doing these things, and we don't? I mean, obviously we don't know what Miami and Nashville are going to do, but Atlanta is, yeah. uh, you know, a, a story unto themselves. Did, did the, does the team acknowledge that they feel like they have to be better maybe than – than what uh, other teams in other parts of the country have to do? I don't think they acknowledge that as far as coming out and saying that. Mm -hmm. I think that um, the mindset there is that they have um, a really good franchise set up in terms of facilities and um, money and things that they can offer. So they feel that it's somewhere that anyone would want to play. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of competition and quality on the field that's where they're they're feeling the most pressure um so they always came in raring to go playoffs right from the start and obviously that didn't happen there was coaching turnover there was front office turnover um so i think the pressure is there after seeing what atlanta's done and now what lafc is coming in and doing there's pressure there to perform on the field and, and make the playoffs this year for sure. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to watch. And it's just, it, it, but I, I like the pressure personally. I mean, I think that's the teams if they feel that. And especially, like, I think it's really unique to watch what you've alluded to with the, the greater mm -hmm. media coverage and the way that everybody was kind of, um, you know, glomming on and going to the Sentinel to look at these things. Because I think a lot of teams, and I've talked to other people from other uh, teams, and they wish that their team could be at the center of that media focus because they, they feel sometimes that there isn't, there isn't the same pressure on on their teams versus what um, uh, other teams across Major League Soccer get. And, of course, I always go to the comparison of how how much pressure that an average NFL team in, in the American sports landscape, uh, how much of that does an MLS franchise get? And I think right now you're starting to see that more with the New York teams. I think you're seeing it now with both the L.A. teams and you're mm -hmm. seeing it now with these other, these other marquee franchises right now. And I'm sure the front offices are kind of like, well, that's great to get that pressure. But for the fans, yeah. I think it, it makes all the, all the different teams kind of realize like, wow, there's a greater level of accountability now. Yeah, and not only, uh, I mean, we feel it in in media. When I was at the Sentinel, when the team's not doing well, I get bombarded with <laughs> fans, fans saying, you need to ask them this and ask mm -hmm. him this and ask him that and, you know, tell him I said this. <laughs> All these things. So, yeah, definitely I don't think on the same level as NFL and NBA right now, but it's definitely picking up for sure, like you said. We'll continue this talk with Alicia Del Gallo of ProSoccerUSA.com coming up next. Welcome back, everyone. Ahead of the Quake's journey to Orlando to take on Orlando City SC, we are talking with Alicia Del Gallo, the co-founder and editor of ProSoccer.com. You know, you saw, obviously, there was a lot of people after the slow start to the season for Orlando. Um, you know, I always, I, I know it's not the only barometer, but it's a pretty good one. I go by social media and, and all the different avenues there. And, like, there were a lot of frustrated fans with Orlando. But now, three straight wins. Things are looking up. Dom, in particular, is clicking. Mm -hmm. what, what's your viewpoint on the team from where they were just a few short weeks ago to where they are now? What's, what's the big change? Yeah, things are starting to click. I mean, they had injuries. Dom was injured. Um, you know, him coming back, getting into the swing of things, some other players getting back into the fold. Um, I mean, they still have players that are out. Jonathan Spector's in concussion mm -hmm. protocol. And you don't know if he's going to be uh, – it feels like every year the back line for Orlando City is, like, a disaster. <laughs> um, there's always injuries, rotation. But I think they made the right moves um, in the offseason – so that when this happened, they had players that could step in mm -hmm. and, and quality players. 
So I think you've seen that with Lamin Sané and, and, and Roteric and those guys coming in. But yeah, I think just kind of everybody getting healthy, Dom getting back on the field and being able to work uh, on the team and cohesion is starting to click a little bit. I'll ask you for your your 30,000-foot viewpoint of the San Jose Earthquakes because I know that you're obviously – you're keeping an eye on everything, uh, which means that you are aware of it all, but I I know you don't have the the detailed answer. But when when I ask you about the San Jose Earthquakes right now, what what comes to mind? Is it still – Chris Wondolowski's team or do you look at it now and more of kind of the viewpoint of the European mold that they're starting to take or what do you think of right now of the earthquakes it's interesting because the Wondolowski thing I think is the most interesting Mm -hmm. thing the season the whole storyline was he's 10 goals away you know from this record and now he's benched (laughs) so it's like whoa uh is this going to stick is this what's going to be the new san jose earthquakes is wando going to be a super sub like um what's going to happen there or is he just kind of taking some time and he's going to get worked back in so i think that's the main the main thing from an outside perspective Mm -hmm. is uh what's what's going to happen is this a, a change that's going to be permanent and what will the team look like if it is yeah. No, I wish I wish I had that answer for you. They don't they don't tell me that much. They told, <laughs> you know, like two hours before the game, they're like, they're like, OK, this is what's going on going on today. And I was like, oh, OK, I'll see where this goes. And, you know, it, it was interesting. And I, I think they, they told us just because they thought people were going to have much more of a, uh, a, a reaction. They knew people were going to react. And even though the middle thing was like, he's going to play today. This is no in no way, shape or form, some uh, permanent move. But like they, they knew they had to be like, tell the broadcasters like, all right, this is what's going down today. So it was it was interesting from from that viewpoint. Um, again, we're talking to Alicia Delgado right now here on the Soccer Hour KMBR ten fifty. Um, I know it's early in the NWSL campaign, um, but what is your view of the Pride right now? And what what do you think is the next step uh, that that league needs to take? Uh, I'm dying for us out here in the Bay Area to get a team. I, mm-hmm. I it's amazing to me that we don't. I mean, we had the, we had the the Cyber Rays at the at the turn of the century, um, and obviously that league did not last. But I. I I am dying for us to get uh, a team out here. But, yeah, so where are you on the pride? And then what do you think is the next step for the NWSL? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a tough question. The NWSL has done so much and come so far in a short amount of time. And I think just continuing to grow that professionalism and being able to up the salaries and provide more for their players so that their players can actually focus, uh, so all of their players can focus on just playing soccer. Um, so that the overall quality and raises as well. I think that's really important for them. The pride overall, I mean, they're loaded (laughs) with with superstars. I don't think um, they're going to have an issue this year, this season. I mean, when you have have Alex Morgan, you have Marta, you have Ali Krieger, you have Sydney LaRue, Mm -hmm. like Ashlyn Harris, what? Um, I think they have... Uh, they have all the talent that they need and a coach in Tom Sermani who everyone really loves and respects mm-hmm. um, and brings a great energy uh, to that group. So I, I think they are poised to, I mean, they made a huge comeback at the end of the year last year, a uh, huge push to make the playoffs. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again this year. Is, is the attendance still expected to be pretty good? Because I know that over the past couple of years, that's been one of their, they've been put in that same echelon as as the Rain and the Thorns with being one of those teams that's going to get a, a pretty good crowd out there to watch their matches. I think it could be better. 
Um, I know they're among the top in NWSL, and I think that's where people, um, people who don't follow the NWSL and other people in the city, maybe Orlando City fans who aren't Pride fans as well, they see the attendance numbers and they think it's just not, it's just awful. Like, um, But it's important to put it in perspective with the rest of the league and yeah. that they are top, but I don't think it's where they want to be and the franchise as a whole wants to be because of the rabid community support that Orlando City has seen. Um, they'd like to see more of that translate to rabid Orlando Pride support as well. Is that community um, engagement? How, how do you view it? How, I mean, how do you get those people to go out there and be involved what, from from your viewpoint? I know you're not a um, marketer. so. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a little bit of education because the engagement, the, the people who are women soccer fans are highly engaged, mm-hmm. like very passionate even more engaged on social media, I think, than MLS fans, even though they're smaller in number. Mm-hmm. Um, when we post a pride story, it's just, it goes nuts. Uh, people click on it, they love it. So I think maybe a little bit of education in communities uh, about the league as a whole um, and about players other than just the U.S. Women's National Team players that are on these teams. Awesome. Well, Alicia, a fantastic work you're doing with Pro Soccer USA. I know that myself and uh, fans all across the country are really encouraged and absolutely uh, adore the work you're doing and your crew. Uh, you're all a kicking ass, so uh, keep it up. And thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Really appreciate it, and we'll talk soon, okay? Yeah, thanks for having me. Alicia Delgayo, everyone, the co-founder and editor of ProSoccerUSA.com. But let's switch gears. We are now lucky enough to be joined by the one and only Magnus Eriksson. Of course, first-year designated player for the San Jose Earthquakes. Through five games, he's got two goals, two assists. And let's back it up, Magnus, as we are five games in and go back to you were in this room. It was late December. You did the press conference. You did the signing. Then you and I went upstairs. We did the interview up there looking down on the stadium, and we talked about how you might think about it with a full crowd, everybody out there. So now that you've been able to take in the home crowd here at Avaya Stadium, did it uh, did it live up to the hype? Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, I think that we... Uh we uh, the players in the in the squad really feel like we wanted to give the, the supporters a win now mm-hmm. because uh, we has been been lacking lacking of that. So, uh, but the feeling going out here every, every every week is is great. And you've obviously been able to integrate into the system for the earthquakes very quickly. Um, not everybody, not every designated player comes in and has two goals and two assists through five games. What would you say has been your best aspect that's allowed you to have that translation of success of in the Allsvenskan, you were you were the guy there, and you're coming over here and quickly asserting yourself as being uh, quite a player. Yeah, but I mean, I uh, I have a good uh, self confidence. I always had. Uh, I have good teammates. I mean, we're we're a good good group group of players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we all of the the offensive player has has done a couple of points. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I think that we we make each other good, and uh, but as a team, I think that we need to improve even more because we we need to win win games. Uh, but of course, this has been a okay start for me, and and I'm happy for that. But uh, the most important thing is to to win games, and and uh, we have to start doing that. Now. So let, let's go there then. You're looking at a tough road stretch here, um, going to Orlando and then going to Columbus. And before we even get into that, as you've now done the, the trip, particularly to Philadelphia, the six-hour flight and the three-hour time difference, how was that for you to make that adjustment? Obviously, you scored a goal, so you were able to, to deal with it that much. But <laughs> yeah. you, got, you got that taste of why people talk about Major League Soccer's traveling being so... Uh, 
so unique. I mean, Kansas City, it's a shorter flight, but when you go six hours and the three-hour time difference to Philadelphia, it's it's different. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was quite weird because you start here at, at uh, seven in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, and then you, you'll... You're all set in the, in the hotel at eight eight in the evening. So I mean, it's a long day, yeah. a long flight, and then the time difference, as you say. So, but I mean, it's the same for everyone. It's the same for every team. So I mean, just to you had to accept that. And mm-hmm. um, I think that we did, did a pretty decent game down in, in Philly. We took one point, yeah. and, and uh, it was a war. So uh, we did did it okay, and uh, we will have to be better away than we were last year. Yeah, another East Coast trip coming up in Orlando. I'm sure you guys haven't started the uh, the whole film prep and trying to get into everything for that team as this is just two days after your last game. But um, having now had these couple of road games under your belt, what do you think that you need to do? What do you think the team needs to do? <clears throat> I'm a, I think that we, uh, we, we have a great group of players. We have a great squad. We have a great spirit in the team. But I think that we need to improve uh, ourselves in the in, Starting the training, mm-hmm. uh, be better, and, and uh, but obviously in the game, uh, I think that we have parts in every game where, where we play really good, uh, but that's not good enough because yeah. uh, a game means 90 minutes, and, and we need to to have more uh, more minutes in the game where we feel like we're in control of the game mm-hmm. and uh, we'll have the ball possession and we control it. Uh, so uh, when we do that, we create chances and we create goals uh, because we have. We have a good, uh, good strikers and, and good offensive players. So we know that in every game that we play, we yeah. score. So, uh, yeah, we need to we need to improve uh, on the whole field. <laughs> the one thing that we've kind of harped on in the broadcast is talking about how you guys have now for three consecutive games broken through with the first goal against NYCFC, Philadelphia, and uh, against Houston this last Saturday night, but haven't been able to follow it up with that second goal very quickly. The um, the game against Minnesota, you guys were. It was quickly on the board. So what do you think the, that you or the team needs to do to get that second goal? Because that's 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 a trend right now. Yeah, that's a trend, and it, uh, it's a bad trend. <laughs> um, <laughs> But as you said, I mean, we, we we talked about it a little bit after the game that that we did exactly the same against New York at home. Mm-hmm. We were up one 0 in halftime and and go out in the second second half and after ten minutes we're down one two and I mean that's not acceptable mm-hmm. because uh, the longer the game is going, the more offensive the opponents get and and that will give us more opportunities to score our second goal. So yeah. we need to be uh, more focused and we need to be awake in the second in the beginning of the second half because uh, that's not good enough and then uh, but we all only have ourselves to blame for that so so we need to we need to improve in that also yeah again we've got magnus erickson with us here on the soccer hour kmbr 1050 um how has it been with head coach michael starry obviously this is a man who had an impact on you during your youth career you had told me before that he was the guy that said hey you're very good at hockey but i think there's a better future for you in soccer um how has it been working with him and having him as uh, as your head coach no, but he's he's great. I mean, he's a he's a good coach. Uh, I think that that uh, a lot of players would would say the same same thing. He's uh, he's great in the tactics and, and everything. Uh, so now we will have to start giving him some wins also. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How was it working with uh, Florian Youngworth this past week as opposed to Nick Lima? It looked like you and Lima had developed a pretty good rapport out there on the right wing. Uh, but Florian comes in as a guy who's playing out of position. Uh, how did how did that translate for you? It was okay. I mean, Florian is a, is a routine player, and, and uh, he did, did a good game, and always, always talking behind my back, and, and 
put me in different directions. So mm -hmm. it was uh, it was easy for me. Uh, me and Nick has played uh, the fourth first game, and and I think that that relationship has been really really good. Uh, I think that we get to know each other um, even more as long as we continue playing games together. So, uh, but it was a it was a decent game on the, on the right side, but uh, personal not good enough um, game overall. Uh, but yeah, we. I have to improve, the whole team has to improve, so yeah. We'll wrap up this conversation with Magnus Eriksson and talk to Emily Olsen about evolving situations in D.C. coming up next. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking to Magnus Eriksson, designated player for the San Jose Earthquakes, and we are picking up where we left off on the last segment. I was asking him about Florian Youngworth. I'm curious. We talk a lot about Florian Youngworth and yourself as being two of the smartest players on the field. You guys are always positioned well. Um, do you see that in Florian Youngworth when you watch him or when you play around him or when he was out there? Do you yourself notice that he's always going to put himself in a good position? Do you look at him as a guy who sees the field really well? Uh, yeah, but he is that kind of player that, that always uh, a smart player, uh, standing right and, and uh, see the solutions even before he gets the ball. And so uh, he's he's good for our team. He, he uh, covers a lot of spaces mm -hmm. and, and uh, he's, he's pretty physical. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So I mean, um, he's good. Uh, Looking ahead on the schedule, when uh, the Galaxy, when you play them at the uh, at the StubHub Center, is there any hello to a fellow Swede in Zlatan that happens before the game, or do you save that for after? I save it for after. Yeah. But I think that if we if we win that game, I don't think that he, he yeah. wants to say hi. But that's normal. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, do, do you like an, another big name Swede? Obviously playing in Major League Soccer. Were you excited for him? Yeah, but I mean it's fun. Uh, he has had. A, a great career. Mm -hmm. uh, he's still a great player. So I mean, it's a, it's a great for MLS to, to bring that kind of players. And uh, yeah, uh, he's a great player still. He's uh, 36, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. It's uh, it's impressive. Now, how is your uh, immersion into American culture now, Ben? You've obviously been here for a few months. You're living in the South Bay. How does it uh, how does it compare versus other places in the world you've been? I mean, I love the life uh, here, and I think that it's, it's really easy to come into to mm -hmm. uh, to the city, and the people are are, uh, are really polite and kind. So I mean, it has been really really easy. Yeah. Uh, but it all comes down to the soccer. You know, you always <laughs> want to win games, then you then you feel even even better. So uh, yeah. You got to drop the puck at a Sharks game. Have you been able to watch any of their uh, playoff games? Did you DVR? I know you played at the same time the other night. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, we saw the last five minutes. Uh, nice. And, uh, but I look every game. Nice. Uh, so uh, it's really fun to, to, to watch them play at the moment. They, they play really good, and hopefully we will get a third win in a, in a row here tonight. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you again, Magnus. Again, five goals in, two goals, two assists. You're after a great start. And I know the, uh, the fans here in the Bay Area are big fans of yours as well. So thank you again. Thanks for it. Thank you. Magnus Eriksson, everyone. We look to see now if he can keep it up as the Earthquakes head to Orlando. We'll see if he can make it three goals in three consecutive games. Now we are being joined by the one and only Emily Olsen. She is on the D.C. United beat for ProSoccerUSA.com. Emily, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I apologize for any background noise. I'm currently uh, at the airport coming back from Las Vegas. Nice, nice. Well, that's that's always uh, in and of itself. You want that background noise to be down because we all know we can have a headache after a trip to Vegas. But uh, <laughs> l l let me ask you right now, are there any headaches in the D.C. area about the news regarding the sale of a stake in ownership, especially um, right on the eve of the opening of the new Audi field? 
you know what? It's interesting. This is kind of one of those rare times where I think that this sale is actually more excitement than a headache. I think a lot of people are excited. Um, you know, um, Eric Thorin is, is, you know, he's been the owner, he's been the financial support there, but has very much been hands-off, whereas um, Jason Levian has been more the hands-on guy. And I mm-hmm. think people are excited, one, to have Jason, a guy emotionally really invested in this team, kind of take the reins. And uh, the rumor is that um, Sun Chiang, that who, who's going to take over, you know, a guy that's smart and has money and the resume, I think it's, I think it's, a positive in a lot of people's eyes yeah and obviously with with the new stadium i mean we all know what it can do for revenue flow especially myself out here in san jose because we know how it was at buckshaw before avaya stadium and i mean believe me i will always uh, visit uh, miss my visits to rfk but um in terms of you know the fan if they're looking at this and they're seeing a new party coming in you know saying hey i want to buy in on this for what we're hearing is $500 million. Does that make everybody think like, hey, there's going to be a change of investment into this team because this is the realization of those financial avenues that are hopefully starting to flow with this new stadium? Look, there has been, a, you know, since day one, there has been, you know, DC United's going to be relevant when they get this stadium. DC United, from day one before, you know, there was a site or an idea or a sponsor, it was, we need a soccer-specific stadium for this this inaugural you know when they started with the champions of the league the face of the league and trying to get back to that so i think that there was definitely a rocky start from the supporters and everything going on there i think again like i said that this showing that there's an effort to make this the value increase Mm -hmm. um i think it it is a step in the right direction and i think it is an exciting development and what's been a a rocky start to something that's been requested for what 20 plus years now yes yes no like i said that out here in san jose we can relate to the situation and it's just <laughs> but it does speak to the growth of the league because i mean this is how it used to be for all these teams they were in these cavernous nfl stadiums um and you know that that was what was available and i i often find it kind of funny that the nfl had to look to the infrastructure of major league soccer with some of the movement of their teams the chargers playing at StubHub things to that effect because it just shows the way that the infrastructure and the popularity of major league soccer have changed since we look back at teams like then the clash and of course dc came into the league absolutely no there's definitely um you know we are leaps and bounds from from where we were when this league started and i i think there's a long way to go but i think that things like audi field are really if if it if it goes smoothly and it goes well a a truly a turning point. I mean, I think there's a, a, there's there's going to be something very interesting where you see DC, Minnesota, um, um, LAFC getting their own stadium. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's something really exciting um, in Atlanta where you see it's it's a partnership. You know, it's not Atlanta Falcons bringing in seventy one thousand and Atlanta United bringing in twenty thousand and they're having to close off the seats. It's it's they're both bringing in these massive crowds yeah and i think that's the other exciting thing of of sharing it equal parts good stuff here we're talking to emily olson of course she is covering dc united for pro soccer usa.com um obviously there's a lot of uh rumor mongering going on right now about the uh, mario balotelli uh, just talk out there. Um, obviously, we're not at the uh, confirm nor deny point, but 
how how would you react to it? Um, or have any of your um, you know friends in the journalism world, or just that you know our fans in the DC area, are they are they texting you about it? Is this something that people are saying that they definitely want, or is it like okay, this is an established star? I mean, how, how is the reaction? My, I mean, I'm very pro any of these names, but I know some people are a little bit cynical and they're saying, oh, we don't want somebody else's star; we want our own star. Well, first of all, I just, for, for most millennials, I have multiple jobs. And it seemed like the second I left, that was when the floodgates open. And I'm, <laughs> I'm waking up. I mean, I'm in a time, there's a different time zone. I'm in a different place. And I'm, I'm looking at my phone and I'm getting these, these messages and these alerts and information. Like, at, at first, the, the, the possible yeah, change in ownership. And then volatility. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm never leaving again. I can't take a vacation. And it's not even a vacation. Um, <laughs> So that was my reaction. Um, but again, I think this was, I even joked with someone when Zlatan came that, you know, the only thing they could do to to outshine that moment is to bring in Super Mario at the same time. <laughs> and I was completely joking. I had, you know, this is, you know, one of the first times that I'm actually hearing this rumor. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that it's coming so close to this ownership change is is a push for excitement. And I think that if you're going to increase that team, you're going to get a billion dollar investor you're getting a new stadium and you're trying to increase a 500 um, million dollar team you need a expensive million dollar player and i think i think that you know he's got he's got a lot of potential and i believe he's the leading scorer in league one and uh with nice yes i mean just his his resume speaks for itself i mean that's the thing is that I, i'm always amazed when people say that they don't necessarily want another league star, and I'm always kind of like, did, did you not Why? see? Yeah, did you not see Ibra's uh, goal go viral across the world? It was the tr- top training video on YouTube. Major League Soccer got their most retweeted tweet ever out of his goal. I was like, that's to me, that's never a uh, never a bad thing. But yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting um, to see where that goes now. Where DC is in the in the standings right now, and there are other rumors about other player uh, acquisitions and trades going on. Two points through five games. People are already calling Saturday's match uh, a, a must-win. Do you buy into that, or do you say, "Listen, it's going to be April 14th"? There's a whole lot of things that could change throughout the course of the year. I mean, I always go to uh, 2015. You go from I think eighth place to first for Portland, and they win a title, and then I think seventh place uh, to getting into the playoffs to winning the title in 2016 for Seattle. So obviously, a, a lot can happen between now and whenever the playoffs are actually becoming crystallized. Well, I mean, DC United did it themselves. I mean, they didn't go all the way to the final or anything, but it, I believe uh, 2016, they similar position, and then they go on, you know, a winning streak at the end, and they get to the knockout stages. Now, you know, that's, it doesn't matter what happened then, but it, they did turn around a season. Um, I don't buy into much as a journalist, <laughs> but um, I, I will tell you what Ben would say, and you know, it's early in the season. It's a long season. I, I would have to tend to agree with um, Ben that this, you know, it, we're a little too early for a must win. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that especially the way that the season is formatted with the fact that we have no idea, honestly, what's going to happen when Audi field yeah. comes to fruition, you know, 14 games at Audi field, it could go terrible. It could go amazing. Uh, you know, Super Mario could be there. Uh, <laughs> you know, there is so much open right now. I wouldn't say against Columbus as a must win. Um, I think for the team, though, they're looking to win. I mean, this team, 
is one of their biggest critics. They that locker room wants to get points. They're frustrated. They they they're they're just as frustrated as the fans are. And I think being able to play a rematch against Columbus so close after a pretty emotional loss is is huge. Um, and so it's not a must win, but it's definitely an important, an important game. Just in terms of viewing what the team has been up to this point, what's the, the, the glaring weakness, or if there's not a glaring weakness, what are you identifying immediately? Because I mean, you look at, at the negative five goal differential right now, it's, it's always easy to hone in on something like that, but it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. Um, what, what is your 30,000 foot view of the team right now on the pitch? I think the main thing is retaining the ball. I think that that was a an issue in preseason that they weren't able to figure out um, when the season started. I mean, you can't put much together if you can't hold on to the ball for more than three passes. Um, there's right now there's a bit of a disconnect, um, and I think that's where you know possession kind of takes a hit. Um, it's it's really trying to figure out. I mean. The other thing is that this is a new team. I walked mm-hmm. into training on the first day and went around, and I think I counted two guys that were at were that were with me at the beginning of last season. <laughs> so, um, you know, you could make excuses for that. This is a new team; the, the chemistry is not there yet. Um, but then at the same time, you got to put it together. Um, so I think that right now they really have to figure out um, how to play together, and and. You can say it as much you, as you want. I think the practicality of that statement is, is really what they need to work on. Emily Olson, everyone, ProSoccerUSA.com. Emily, safe travels. Uh, glad you enjoyed your time in Vegas, and now you get to go back to all the, uh, the numerous news stories waiting for you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, there's no rest for the weary, that's for sure. Thank you for having me. No, there is not. Thank you so much, Emily Olson. And again, that wraps up another edition for the Soccer Hour here on a Wednesday night. But now we turn ahead to Orlando, where the Earthquakes look to get their first road win of 2018. And right now, five games in, five points only on the board. The Earthquakes need to start getting things rolling, especially with including this game, six of their next eight on the road. The Earthquakes, they are showing signs they've broken through with the first goal in the last three games they've just not yet been able to convert that to three points so there's no better chance to start that than the present and that would be in Orlando on Saturday a big thank you to the San Jose Earthquakes for making this show a reality and of course to the Bay Area soccer community for supporting us and tuning in every week for the San Jose Earthquakes I'm Ted Ramey signing off but I'll see you Saturday at 4 30 from Orlando right here on KMBR 1050.